Then I want to praise the Lord this morning for the joy once more of talking to you about some precious things of Christ, and I want to hold it down to a minimum. I keep getting warnings, you know, the light lights, and the doctor talks, and I don't listen sometimes when I should listen, and I don't see sometimes when I should see this very bright red light flashing. But this morning we have the Lord's Supper, so I am going to be... You know, I have so much to say, that's the problem. And, uh, you know, you get launched on your on the things you want to say about Christ and the Word of God, and uh, it's very difficult to stop. So I'm going to... Just a few comment, contemporary thoughts uh, first. Uh, in this last day, we're getting a terrible lot of false things. We have to be so careful to discern. Whereas ye should be able... God says to discern. It's necessary that you go back to the beginning things and start over again. Uh, we must be able to discern things. And uh, just in this past week, yesterday morning, I, I get this this letter in the mail just to give you an idea. It's only it's printed, you know, no name or anything on it. Warning. And uh, there'll be some truth in here, you'll notice. God is warning the people there's a great destruction coming very soon. Buildings will be burning and tumbling down. Russia is planning a sneak attack. Now, I don't know where they get their information. A sneak attack upon America. New York is the first target. Then, following our Pennsylvania... I don't know how you get all this divine order here. Maryland, second. Washington, Virginia, North Carolina, Florida, Chicago, and finally California. Well, California got a dose first, it seems to me. They got this thing a little in reverse. A famine will be throughout the land, resulting from this destruction. Now, listen. Start buying extra canned goods to put aside. <laughs> you know, it would be sad, but I'm sure that this was written in great sincerity. You see, that's the sad part here. We know the Lord is coming. Buy juices and soda because there's going to be a shortage of water. Well, there may be a shortage of water. Buy candles. There'll be no electricity. Be prepared. This is a very serious message. Make sure you're in the zone of safety. And then listen, the only way to safety is to be covered by the blood of Jesus. So you see the admixture here of divine truth, the only way of escape for us is the blood of Jesus. You see. We recognize it. But somehow people get all of these thoughts in their minds, and it's, it's not entirely their own fault, if I can say that, because magazines come to my, my desk, which shocked me too. 
and uh, these are, are not cheap publications, you know, they're, they're well, well published. And, uh, but this, uh, this man writes, and he says here, although the expense is great, it's like a pri priceless gem if you will take by the startling and magnetic book of compiled scroll prophecies of future events. All who do not have this book should order it immediately. You yourself will say this is a very exciting and rewarding volume. The future is given step by step from the year 1969 to 77. Everything is set up for you. It's a four-color process. No words can describe what this literature will do for you. Your life will be changed, and you will know more in a few hours than you have learned in your whole life. Now, if you think that's small stuff, this is the temple a man is building in the deserts of Arizona, and this two marks up here represent two stars which settled over the desert to guide and direct him to build this fabulous multi-million dollar temple. And the two stars settled there, and he has received a special revelation from Jesus, that he's to build this temple. Now, if we realize that this is the thing that is happening in the world, all kinds of false teachers coming in unawares, Timothy, remember this, coming in unawares and teaching what? Damnable heresies, damnable heresies, and causing many, God says, even deceiving God's elect, if it were possible, you see. In other words, the, those who really know Christ as personal Savior should not be taken in with this kind of stuff. There are personalities coming forth. And that is exactly what God said would happen. Personalities attaching great crowds to themselves. It struck me as I read this that he says here that uh, be sure and write for the new script I've just gotten from Jesus Christ. It's strictly incredible. And the Lord reveals some future events which appear at the end of the age and great convergings of power showed secrets that you'll never know of. I've been praying for some to give $100 for some of these, and some 50, and some 20, and some 10, and some 5. And I can assure you that this man has a very, very large following. Now, these are the things that we face in this age that we're living in. And this is small. This is nothing. California is loaded with it. California is the center not only of pornography, but California is also the center of false sectarian groups that have sprung up. It seems that it just has centered in there and then is disseminated and spread out by the finest presses, as they say, that there are in the world. All of this, this thing that is to deceive in the last days. Who is the great deceiver? Satan. We're told that Satan is the great deceiver. So, beloved, let's, you may receive stuff. 
You know, now if you don't want pornographic literature, you're supposed to be able to go to the post office and put your name on a list, and then that list is to be published, etc. It's in the courts, they're trying to stop it. But you put your name on the list in the post office, and no pornographic literature can come to your home. Well, I tell you, some of the things here, they ought to have names too, that you wouldn't get a lot of this kind of trash coming into your homes. But it can happen. It can happen. So we must be most careful. Now, this morning, I just wanted to speak to you for a few minutes on Israel. I spoke to you about Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant that God made with the nations, with the families of the earth. And the tremendous joy of my heart is to know it's a family covenant. <coughs> Pardon me. The great promises of God in Revelation 12 are of an amazing nature. And that was that in Abraham's seed, he would bless the whole world. He would bless Abraham individually. He would make of him a great nation. And in him should all the families of the earth be blessed. This is a tremendous prophecy. You hear people doing away with the family. The family is not relevant anymore. Marriage is out the window. Well, we were told that in the prophecies in Timothy and Titus, that there would be those who would come who would say, forbidding to marry in the latter days, that marriage would be cast out. But the promises of God, beloved, are to families, that the families of the earth are to be finally mightily blessed by the coming of this Redeemer who would redeem unto himself all those who trusted in his precious blood for the forgiveness of sins. And the blessing was to be families in thee and in thy seed, all the families of the earth should be blessed. So that in Christ, who is that blessed seed, families are to be blessed. If I can say this, it is a portion which says, and they all shall be of one tongue. May I add, they all shall be of one love. There shall be no divisions amongst families in that redeemed universe. There'll be no blacks and whites. There'll be no different races. The races will have all have been blended into this one glorious family for we by faith have become members of the family of the living God. We are the sons of God. And so in this family, there can be no bond nor free. There can be no circumcision or uncircumcision. But there is one family, for God has brought us into the body of Christ. And we are one in him. This glorious oneness we should sense through our whole congregation. We should sense it in its great Holy Spirit power. It should rest upon us in these last days as never before, that we are members one of another and members of the family of God. God speaks of Israel, and in Israel he gives us many lessons. If we miss the lessons because we study the prophecy, we'll miss so much that God has for us. 
And so if you'll turn with me over to Ezekiel, the 36th chapter, where God begins to speak about Israel. Israel, this nation that he chose so carefully, beloved, and may I say this, God chose this nation, a nation of people who could stand such terrible persecution and punishment beyond all the nations of the earth. And this great nation, Israel, is God's time clock of the ages. And he amazingly does so much that so little is known about. The whole world at the moment is embroiled in a family situation of argumentation between the two children of Abraham. It's the center of all of all that is going on. It's an amazing thing how God blessed both children. The illegitimate child Ishmael, the father of the Islamic nations or the Arab nations, the child of Abraham through Hagar, the Egyptian servant of Sarah, who was Abraham's wife. Ishmael is blessed of God and says, out of thee shall many nations come forth. An amazing thing. And 12 princes, just the same as he promised to Isaac, Twelve nations shall come forth out of Ishmael. But he said, because you are the child of the flesh, you're not the child of promise. Abraham would not wait. He was impatient that he have a son. And you shall be a wild man. And your hand shall be against every other man. And your hand shall be against your own brethren. And you will battle with one another. And you will stay in the land where you started. And the Arabs have hardly, few of them have left the Arab lands. The Arab lands look the same today as they did in the days of Jesus Christ. Their garments, their robes and everything. And God had told them in Genesis that that's where they would remain but they'd be a wild man and their hand would be against their own brethren. In Jordan, the fighting is amongst the Arabs with each other. The battling going on. And then there was the seed which was Isaac. And out of him came Jacob. Isaac was the child of promise through Sarah. And out of him came Jacob. And Jacob was a miracle son. See, it's all miracles. Sarah is barren, and Isaac comes forth. Oh, how the miracles of God are. The sons born for three generations are a miracle. In the beginning here of Abraham, Sarah, barren, Isaac is born. Isaac marries Rebekah. Rebekah is barren. Jacob is born. Jacob loves Rachel. Rachel is barren. You see? God continually is saying, barrenness, barrenness, barrenness. But this is the line in which Christ shall come. 
This is that lineage which is a lineage of miracle. And the miracle born, the miraculously born Jesus Christ, born of the seed of Abraham, yet that immaculate, glorious Son of God coming forth from the Virgin Mary, the seed that should come to whom the promises were made. Now, in Ezekiel, God speaks to Jacob's 12 children, the 12 tribes of Israel. Ishmael had 12 children. They're the 12 princes of the Arab nations. Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's name is changed to Israel, which means prince with God, or God will rule. And then out of Jacob comes the 12 tribes of Israel. There are two children in there that are very important to us. We might think immediately about Joseph. We might think because Joseph is such a beautiful picture of Christ and is one of the children of Jacob, that he is the supremely important one. But the two important children in all of this lineage of Jacob's 12 children are Judah and Levi. Because Judah is the one who leads to Jesus Christ. That's the seed. And Levi is the priesthood. So the Judah is the kingly line and Levi is the priestly line. And these two can never merge. Church and state are to be completely separated. That's where we get it. Church and state, the priesthood and Judah and Levi never is to a king come to the altar. And where royalty came to the altar in the Old Testament, royalty was slain. The king could never take over the priesthood. The control of the state over religion. And so they never were merged. And in these United States of ours, the separation of church and state is fundamental to our security and is fundamental to our freedom. And we must be very careful in this realm because there are inclinations to mix up the church, the state, together in these last days. But when Christ came, the glorious thing is that the two lines, Judah, kings, Levi, priests, but in Jesus Christ, he becomes king of kings, and the high priest together, so that the two lines will only be possibly merged. Church and state will be one when Jesus Christ comes and establishes his kingdom. For he shall be both king of kings and lord of lords and the only high priest of our profession. Oh, what a glorious day. Government and faith brought together. How precious. But Israel was a very disobedient nation. Israel was directed exactly the way God wanted them to live. 
And in Ezekiel 36, if you look with me just for a few minutes, a few lessons, and then to the Lord's table. Because we can learn as a nation much from Israel, beginning at the 17th verse. And I want you to think of the term that's used, son of man. Because here, it's messianically speaking. Oh, Ezekiel is being spoken to. But messianically, just think about Christ. Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways. Notice it, beloved, I circled that by their own ways. We hear so much of that today, don't we? Everyone do your thing. What do you think it means? It's just what it means here. They went their own way. Remember the verse that says, every man did as he thought was right in his own eye. Why do you think in this affluent society we're living in, this time that we claim our gross national product is going over the trillion dollar mark, that we have the greatest age of immorality, we have the greatest age of decadence, we have the greatest financial confusion, we have chaos. We have problems that seem insurmountable in so much so that even the city that is closest to us looks like it's on the verge of bankruptcy. And yet this is the great affluent age. Everyone's doing as they, their own thing, their own way. And here God warns us. He says, they defiled it by their own ways. And by their own, what? Doings. How they lived. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Disease. I don't have to go into that. Wherefore, God says, I poured my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land and for their idols wherewith they had polluted it. And I want to tell you that we have just as many idols or more than Israel ever knew. Only our idols may be of a different nature, it's possible. Our idols may be our gold, may be our great affluency, may be our possessions, may be that we've centered our gaze much as Israel has done down through the centuries upon gold and silver. And they polluted themselves with their idols. And I scattered them among the heathen. And they were dispersed through the countries according to their, what? Their ways and their doings. And according to their doings, I judged them. And when they entered unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, 
So these are the people of God and are gone forth out of his land. But I had pity for my holy namesake, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes. This is speaking of the last days. I do it not for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my holy namesake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. Now, beloved, they were a disobedient people. They were far off from God, and oh, how we should search our hearts out to see how disobedient we are. What were they disobedient to? They were disobedient to the Word of God. And I want to tell you something. I don't believe the average Christian today knows enough about the Word of God to be disobedient to it. If I were to honestly ask how many of us have listened to Paul's epistle to Timothy when he says, study to make thyself approved unto God. A workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I believe that 80 to 90% of Christians would have to hang their head in abject shame before their Savior and say, I failed and failed and failed. And the Word of God, I am not using. My Bible is just as dusty as is the Bible on the table of an absolute unbeliever. And about all I do every day, God does utter a little prayer to you and thank you that I'm alive. And out of some kind of conscience, I say, thank you for blessing me. And God is crying out, where are the obedient people? Hear ye the word of the Lord. And our Bibles have become dark pages. And unhappiness and misery is in the church of Jesus Christ. And loneliness where Christ should be filling the breast. And the heart runs here and runs there looking for excitements. Looking for things that may somehow give happiness to the human heart. When all the time God is saying, don't you see? Paul says in Corinthians, these things were written to Israel beforehand. So that you who are in this age of grace should learn from them and not make the same mistakes. They failed me. They had their idols. They got themselves all tied up in knots inside. And their hearts were unhappy and miserable. And in Deuteronomy, he says they had nothing but sorrow of mind. And their children forsook them and wandered away into unbelief. I wonder if God isn't going to charge us with the same thing. Mother and father, tell me something. How much of the word of God are you every day taking into your breast? How much of it are you really assimilating within your soul 
so that you, beloved, can speak forth with the children and they will not see phoniness within you. They will not find the same thing that the Jewish children found with their parents. Why do you think Judaism is so far off from God today? Because of this very thing, beloved. Because the parents continually failed and we keep blaming children and blaming children. But I tell you where there's a mother and father who are deeply in love with Christ and in love with their children and show it in every facet of their lives and don't get involved like they did. But from God's word, when he says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, they have listened to God and they have done it. And God has blessed their children and their families. What lessons we should learn. Disobedience causes disunity. It can cause it in every way. They were disobedient. And they warred amongst each other. That's what happened in Israel, you know. That's what can happen in the United States. That's what happens in little families. The two kingdoms in Israel warred against each other. They battled each other. Israel battled amongst themselves in their own kingdom and part of them was taken captive to Babylon and part to Assyria. And they were broken up as a nation because they battled amongst themselves. A house divided cannot stand, God says. And what happens to a nation can happen to a church. If a church is not feasting upon the things of the word of God and is not intense, like Ernie said this morning, I would to God that the parents would take hold with the children and walk with them to Sunday school. And come into the adult Bible class and sit there. Let the children know, this is part of my life. Part and parcel of my life. You know, Ernie, I was amazed. I was looking at, uh, you know, our son-in-law, Jack Williamson's church out in Ohio, in Salem, Ohio. He's assistant pastor there. And I get the report every week. He sends me a report in the calendar, you know. But what amazed me was their attendance at Sunday school was 500 on Sunday morning. And they listed it by number. You know what it said on top? Adult class, 259. And there were 241 children, if my arithmetic is good. This is what it means. God here is saying, these people, Israel, are to be a lesson to you. They forsook my way. They went their own way. We're not to blame God. He says, by your own ways and your own doings, uh, you know, that word pollution, I noticed in there, that gets you, doesn't it? They have polluted my land. Oh boy, I think of this ecology thing we hear all the time. And there's a portion in Scripture, you know, where it says to Israel, 
God says to Israel, and I will make you in that day so that the very land shall bear their fruit as they shall, and I shall make a covenant of peace between you and the beast and the fish and the fowls, everything shall be pure. But we're living in that day, beloved, of disobedience. And if only we could learn to be obedient to the word of God, to feast upon it. And as I said before, and I repeat it again, you cannot be obedient to that which you do not know. How can you say I am an obedient Christian if you're not reading that which tells you how to be obedient. Your obedience may be of a very, very low character as far as God is concerned. Beloved Israel reminds me today of, of many churches. They were scattered. They were thrown apart. God says, I had to scatter you to the heathen. And I want to say that as I look at the churches, my heart breaks Three times this week, I have been approached by people who come here and told me they come from a church that has now had a division on Long Island. Good churches. But divisions crept in. And they were going their own way. Not God's way. Not by God's direction. Not by God's will. And oh, if only we as a church will continue, beloved, to be deeply and fervently in love with Jesus, number one. And if you're in love with Jesus, then it comes naturally you'll be in love with the word of God, number two. Then, if you love the word of God, number two, you love the brethren that surround you, number three. And then number four, you love a dying world outside and you'll seek to win them to Jesus Christ. We're to be careful about disobedience because disobedience brings disunity. Disunity. And where disunity comes in, beloved, the Holy Spirit departs. I cannot help but think, as I think of that, of churches throughout the city of New York and churches throughout Long Island, where one day the word of God was preached in great power by great men of God, that today are empty shells that have no word of God, have no power, where the incorruptible seed of the word of God is no longer preached and souls are no longer saved. And beloved, when God spoke to Israel and said, the reason I had to scatter you is because of your evil. Now may I say this to the church, God also scattered the church, but for a different reason. To the church, he said exactly the same thing, but in a different way. He said, go ye. 
to Israel, he scattered the heathen into the heathen because of their abominations and their pollution. To the true church of Christ, he says, I'm going to disperse you too. But I'm saying to you, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Acts 1.8, he says, and when the Holy Spirit really comes upon you, ye shall be my witnesses unto all the world. So there is a dispersal for the church, but that dispersal, beloved, is the church might proclaim the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Oh, may we be obedient. Number one, the word of God. May I urge that upon you? And I want to tell you, this is your hardest place. May I say this clearly? This is your hardest place. I'm going to close with this. This is your hardest place. The hardest place for every Christian in this church today is the reading of the Word of God 15 minutes a day. I'm not going to ask how many have read it 15 minutes every day this week. But this is your hardest place because this is where Satan will war against you deepest to keep you away from the Word of God because it is only by the word of God that you can grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you can grow into the stature of Jesus Christ, that you can grow into the image of Jesus Christ, that you might reflect his glory. And, oh, I call upon you, get back to the word of God. If you were a modernist church, I wouldn't expect you to. But if you're born again, then the word of God is the key to your life as a Christian. May you grasp it. Don't take me lightly. If you go home this week and you don't read the word of God and you don't do any more than you've done before, what value is all that I have to say? I urge you to it. The day is so short before Christ comes. You'll have no joy in your life. Don't tell me you're a joyous Christian if you're not reading the Word of God. You might be a happy individual because you're healthy and happy and you've got a job and a lot of other things. That's easy. But I want to tell you, if you want the joy of the Lord, despite your condition or your circumstances, there's only one place you'll get it. And that's in the Word of God and in prayer. Let us return to the things that can really bless our lives. Let's learn from Israel. They forsook it all. And they've suffered for the last 2,000 years. And have yet to suffer much more before they are converted in a day by the Holy Spirit of the living Christ, their Messiah. Let us pray. Now, Father, we thank thee for thy word to our hearts and we pray we may learn from Israel. Father, may we truly understand that Israel forsook the word of God. That Israel today doesn't know one thing about prophecy. And here the prophetic utterances involve Israel. 
but that they know nothing about it. They never read Ezekiel. They never read Isaiah. From year to year, they read the first five books of the Bible, Moses' books, and start over again. We're thankful they do that. But even this can be academic. So, Father, we pray that we who have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we it, as the church might understand, will not show lack of understanding. Oh, God, get us back to the good old book, the Bible. Get families back to it. Get mothers and dads back to it. Lord, may they really begin to read and study. No racing through it but really studying it to grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ. And then may our prayer life be what it should be. In Jesus' blessed name, amen.